You're listening to Inward with Rabbi Joey Rosenfeld on the Shefa Podcast Network. Join Rabbi Joey as he guides us through the world and major works of Kabbalah, Hasidic masters, and Jewish philosophy, shedding light on the inner life of the soul. Okay, so Be'ezras Hashem, tonight we're going to continue and end with our series of Shirim, The Inner World of Trauma. And it's going to be the last year that we give here, uh, prior to Eretz Solomir Mirz Hashem. So it'll be a few weeks hiatus. And it could be that the next series of Shirim is going to be on the Os Aleph, 10 Shirim on what the Aleph represents, the concept of the Os Aleph, talking about beginnings. But it could be that it will also change changes rapidly, very quickly, moment to moment. So we'll see what we focus on next. But tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to finish up, we're going to close off a topic that can't really be closed off. Because the concept of trauma is the concept of openings. It's a concept of a rift that rests at the core of our experience, whether it be the rift within ourselves that gives birth to the tornness of the self, the splitness of the self, which leads to our process through life as a, as a process of sewing ourselves back together and revealing that what we give birth to through the re-sewing of ourselves is so much greater than a seamless unity. When we engage with a world that is cracked through from the beginning to the end, deliberately so, constitutively so, what it offers us is an opportunity to hope towards a unity that is not yet present, to confront and to be mitmodeid with a fissure, with a difficulty, with a struggle that rests at the core of our experiences. Yet not to run away from it terrified, not to gaze at it and flinch away from it, but to gaze unflinchingly at it, to be mitmodeid, to face what reality is. Because what we've seen from all of our shirim is that the trauma of reality is the very fabric upon which reality is expressed that it's not accidental, nothing is accidental, nothing is meaningless. And while it seems that the center cannot hold and that mere anarchy is unleashed upon the world very often, at its core, every mishap, every difficulty, every opportunity to contemplate and struggle with things not going our way, whether it be a capital T trauma, God forbid, or lowercase t trauma, each and every moment is an opportunity for us to be present, to try and find within this moment, within this difficulty, within this apparent breakage, the building that is perpetually taking place. What we know from our tzaddikim, what we know from the Lashem Shwe Bachalayma, from Rav Kuk, from the Ramchal, based on the Arizal, Schusil Ganalenu, said it was today, that everything is perpetually elevating. There's no degradation. There is nothing that dies. There's nothing that breaks apart. There is only the progression towards growth. And yes, growth very often takes place by way of a descent into harrowing places of howling, holitude, uh, of howling solitude and frightening places and dreamscapes that are 
terrorizing us. But in the end of the day, what a Yid has to understand in the depths of their heart is that everything is perpetually elevating. Everything is evolving towards the particular purpose in which its entire existence is based, which is Tikkun, which is moving forward towards a rebuilding. And our introduction to trauma, our introduction to the suddenness that breaks open the present reality of our lives and forces us to confront the fact that the sturdiness that we felt so secured in is in truth a lot less sturdy than we expected, I believe is also a preparation. It's an idea that we're forced to confront with, that we're forced to confront as human beings in this world that prepares our mind for the unexpected. And while the unexpected very often appears as something that shatters a previous wholeness, thereby creating the traumatic element of it, leaving the subject in a post-traumatic shatteredness, there is also an unexpected arrival of something that is not simply the breaking of a previous whole, but it's a revolutionary change. It's a paradigmatic shift to the preceding whole. That if trauma is the sudden disruption of what we have come to expect and the sudden exposure to that which was unexpected, then there is also a trauma that comes about when everything that we've come to know as true and real, everything that we've come to expect as the defining factors of what it means to be in reality, in existence, can also be shattered by something that was unexpected. But this type of shattering is not because it gets worse, but because it gets better. When the Maharal wants to talk to us about Ke'ula, when the Maharal wants to talk to us about redemption in Netzach Yisrael, what the Maharal focuses the first few prakimon is the notion that our Rishonim have told us, the philosophers have told us that it is impossible for an individual to understand something other than by way of its opposite. This is something that becomes very clear in the writings of Rav Aaron Halevi of Straselia, in his writings of Oedus Halevi and the Shari Yichad Vamuna. But the Maharal points out that it is impossible for us to understand what redemption is without understanding exile. Because by living within exile, by contemplating exile, what we give ourselves the opportunity to do is gain an insight into what redemption is going to be. And therefore, the concept of redemption necessitates the struggle prior to it. Golos, the struggle, that absence, that place where we no longer know where Hashem is in our lives, where we no longer know what our tachlis is, where we no longer know how to talk to ourselves towards the other person or towards God himself, so to speak. All of the exilic factors, all of the stuckness, all of the ups and the downs and the falling and the stuckness and the boredom and the malaise, all of those existential dreadful questions that we ask in our minds, these are all products of what it means to be in Goyla. These are all products of what it means to live in a world without the alufa shal olam, without the presence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That existence itself as we've known it, the, the structure of reality is that it is traumatic. And redemption is going to be something that comes along and shatters our previous assumption of the nature of reality. We know reality as something hidden. We know reality as something that is always seen through the veils of human understanding of always already translating experience into a secondary mode of awareness, which is always post-reflective. We understand reality as misunderstanding, as living in a world of he'elem, of oilam melashon he'elem, that the world itself, existence, gains its name from the very etymological root of concealment. And as we've spoken about so often, this world is the Ilana Desveka, this world is that place of doubt. Out. This world is the oilam of toiv and ra, of choyshech, 
That's what we've grown accustomed to. And a person can, God forbid, come to a place where they begin to believe that this is the way things have to be. And we begin to rest securely in our exile. We begin to rest securely in our spiritual unconsciousness, in the misleading beliefs and the learned helplessness that we're not capable of bringing Mashiach, that we're not capable of accessing Yichud, that we're not capable of understanding Amuna and Bitachon, that the tzaddikim weren't talking to us, that the Torah wasn't talking to us, that if the previous generations weren't able to bring redemption in their days, then there's no way that we can bring redemption. We grow accustomed to these misleading platitudes about ourselves and this cultured low self-esteem because that's what we assume to be the nature of reality. What redemption is, and as we've spoken about so often, redemption comes both in a general as well as in a particular form on a regular basis. Redemption is a positive trauma that comes and splits open our perception of exile, and it reveals to us that we are in truth Jews of redemption. We are a generation of redemption. We are a neshama of redemption, that our lives are perpetually engaged in the process of redeeming, of fixing things, of moving from darkness into light, ever so slightly to simply survive from time to time. But in the end of the day, our perpetual awareness, our perpetual spiritual experience is one of believing that there is something big that rests just above beyond the horizon. There's something tremendous, there's something big, there's something unspoken, a silent redemption that heralds itself daily with the silent calls that come out from Har that say Shufu Banim Shovavim, return back to the bigness, return back to the expansivity of the self. Return back to that place of your kochos ha'atzmiyim, to the belief that I, as an individual, that we as a generation are capable of being the ones to bring about that final traumatic breakage of the broken world that we live in, which is the revelation of the fixedness of existence. And again, we're not speaking on a grand historical claim. We're speaking on a psychological, individualized, and, and collective sense that redemption is any new influx of spiritual awareness, any new influx of that which remained other to us prior to our awareness. And now once it's integrated into our minds, we have new hasaga, we have a new ability to grasp it. Redemption as Rabbi Nachman describes it is the surrounding light of spiritual awareness that due to its elevated status remains unconsciously attached to us because we don't have the ability to process that information. And it's that surrounding light, that makif entering internally, the makif becoming a panini. When something that was unknown becomes known, when something that was ungraspable becomes grasped, thus is gula, that is redemption. And it's a trauma because it breaks apart the smallness that we assumed was the reality of our lives. So redemption itself is a trauma. Redemption comes, Mashiach comes to each and every one of us. Eliwanavi comes and visits us. And at first we're terrified. We're terrified at the sudden experience of light. We're terrified at the sudden possibility that I am bigger than I have convinced myself to be. Because we've grown accustomed to our, we've grown accustomed to our owners and we've grown accustomed to our, to our leaders. We've grown accustomed to the masters that rule over us. As an Evid Ivri, as somebody who has lived, each and every one of us live our lives in a certain sense of indentured servitude, of smallness, of a collapsed back, which sees ourselves as stuck in exile, as stuck in this perpetually re-exposed and re-experienced form of trauma. And when it comes time for us to see a little bit of an opening, a little bit about a possibility of learning to think otherwise or learning to live otherwise, we say, I don't want to leave. 
I don't want to leave this exilic mindset. I don't want to leave this smallness of the self because the smallness of the self gives me carte blanche to not do anything. It gives me carte blanche to consider myself as a lo yitzlach, as a shlamazel, as somebody who's not going to see Mashiach, as someone who's not capable of chidushe Torah amitim, of someone who's not capable of his kashras tzadikim, of somebody who's not capable of relieving anxiety, or someone who's not capable of fixing the broken parts of myself or the broken parts of my relationship. It's easy to rest securely in our incapacity to change. The trauma is the redemptive revelation that we can change, that we do have the possibility of free choice, that in the end of the day, as much as we're compelled and as much as our volitional capacity is, is stuttered under the, the heavy burden of influence outside of us, in the end of the day, a Baal is a Baal and to be a babakhira is to live under that constant cut of trauma, that constant cut of responsibility and the awareness that I can change things in an instant. I can change things in an instant, and why not now? As the Lubavitcher Rebbe Spusa Ganalina would say, tekef umiyad mamish, tekef umiyad mamish, quicker than now. Quicker than now is not simply an idiomatic statement, but rather it is a fundamental rupture of our classical understanding of temporality. We as human beings live with a sense of proximity. We don't understand immediacy because our lives pre-redemption are no longer immediate. We live mediated lives. We mediate experience through concepts, through other people, through teachers, through experience in a post-reflective, a post-subjective sense. And so the closest that we can come to something being immediate is that it wasn't so long ago. It was a second ago. It was two seconds ago. And when we want something to happen quickly, the way we speak about time is that it should happen in the next moment. But what the Lubavitcher Rebbe was demanding is a new way of contemplating time. It was an idea of take ifumiyad mamish now. It has to be quicker than now. It has to shatter and cut through the temporal fabric in which we live our lives, the trauma of time, that boishish, that Moshe level, that sense of always missing something. And take a fumiyad mamish means I don't even want to wait a half a second. I don't want to wait any unit of time, no matter how tiny. I want redemption to come immediately now. I want things to be torn apart and to reveal within front of my own eyes the capacity to fix everything. This is what Rabbi Nassim Minimarov writes in his letters to his son, Rav Yitzchak and Alim Latrufa, beautiful, beautiful, therapeutically love-filled letters that a father was writing to his son. That at the core, at the deepest point of spiritual experience for Rabbi Nassim on a certain level was writing a love letter to his son, Rav Yitzchak, to be miskasher, to, to have his kashras, to have connectivity to mend the void that exists between two separate things. And what Rabbi Nassim would write is, yan kol. there is something that comes along and transforms everything. And avada, that transformation is for good. Ah, that sudden transformation is going to be traumatic. It's okay, that's the trauma of redemption. That's the willingness to be proven wrong. That's the willingness to be proven wrong in terms of our learned helplessness. And again, we're talking about each and every one of us having the capacity to uncover the light of our own Mashiach, as the tzaddikim say. Halavai, it should be true, and we should integrate this into the collective consciousness of redemption as well, but that's still something, as our tzaddikim say, that stand outside of Hesach Hadas. Those are unconscious experiences that all we can do is try to engage, yet it rests in that place of libi lefum yali that those things that are true in the heart of HaKadosh Baruch are not revealed in voice. But for us, what we do have the access to is Karva al the trauma of redemption in each and every moment to come to realize that I am bigger than I have been convinced I am. 
that I have a neshama, that my neshama comes from the loftiest place in the world, the tahiru ilah, and that there's nothing yid can handle. And l'chatchila ariber, that at first and foremost, we have to believe with absolute strength and ferocity that there is nothing that stands in my way. And that the manios, as Rabbi Nachman tells us, and the preventions that scatter our paths in terms of any progression that we want to make in our lives, whether it be spiritual, personal, or physical, because all of that is comprised under the rubric and the umbrella of spirituality, that I have to understand that the manios do not stand the chance, that the mania, the prevention is there simply to engage more desire, more desire, more desire, more cheshek more yearning. As Rabbi Nachman says in the 66th teaching of Lukut Maran, that just as the Rambam tells us that there's a seichel, there's a mind, there's the muskal, there's the contemplative idea within the mind, and there's the koyach hasichli, which is my process of thinking. So there's the thinker, there's the thing that is thought, and there's the process of thinking. So too is there the choyshek, the nechshak, and the cheshek. There is a desiring individual, there is their desire, and there is the desired object. And for our purposes, we can look at it as follows. We are the ones who are desiring redemptive change. The desired aspect that we yearn towards is change. And the way that we reach that is through the desire itself. But Zakhtar bin Nachman, by necessity, there has to be a mania that separates the desire from the desired object. Not because we can't gain access to it, as Rav Avram ben Rav Nachman points out in his Bir Halikutim, but rather because the mania is always there just to be magdil v'cheshek. It's there to create more and more desire. That there's nothing that stands the, in the way of a yid uncovering redemption, the trauma of redemption in their lives, the sudden exposure of the blinding light, that infinite light that descends down into my mind that allows me to understand that, wow, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is here, that, wow, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is with me, even in this place, even in this low place, in the lowest of low places, and all of us know what our low place is, even here, the trauma is the sudden recognition that, oh my goodness, I thought I could escape HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and I couldn't. And suddenly that Gehenim is transformed into Ganeda. And we know that it's specifically in the place of Gehenim that Mashiach is going to come to dance with us. Zabtar bin Nachman, Rabbi Nachman says, I believe in Ilam Halba. I believe in the world to come. I believe that there's a world of reward. What I have a harder time believing in is Ilam Haza. I don't see this world because all I see is Gehenim. Zabtar Sadiqim, because the Asad Lavo. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to make a circle for all of the Jews together, where each and every person is going to point with their own finger and say, this is Hashem, this Hashem that I see now in redemption, Zabtar bin Nachman, is mamish the thing that I always knew Hashem would be like. And where is this dance going to take place? Where is this sudden revelatory dance of the redemption of darkness into light, that traumatic breakage where things splinter open with unbearable light? Where is that going to take place? It's going to take place in Gehenna because there's no place other than Gehenna that can hold everybody like that. When we come to the recognition that things will transform, we open ourselves up to wait for that arrival to wait for that unexpected guest, to come and knock on the door and say, your gu'ula has arrived. You can change your dirty clothes. You can change your broken mindset of exilic weakness. And you can change your broken mindset of learned helplessness as if I'm worthless in the eyes of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. And we can come to understand that the thoughts and the contemplations that we have with regards to our status or our connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu don't mean anything. The inherent connection of the neshama takadish baruch is so strong that even my own desire to cut it, even my own desire to undo it, even my unwillingness to believe in it, doesn't make one iota of a difference. The connection is still there. And that traumatic revelation that, oh my goodness, I've been connected all along. 
I've been connected to you all along, Rabbanu Shalom. I thought I was living in concealment and I've been living in revelation. That's going to be that positive trauma that comes and shatters our conception of what we thought was true. And at that point, the trauma itself, living with that idea of things transforming themselves from one way to the other, suddenly acknowledging the fact that that the world bears no stability whatsoever, that everything is HaKadosh Baruch Hu, HaMakom, 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 who olam, the world exists within HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Memalek Kalam and Soivet Kalam and Vleis Aser Panimine, Ein Oid Melvado Mamish, Kepshuto, Kepshuto, Kepshuto Mamish, Kepshuto Mamish. And when that is revealed, what a person is going to come to understand is that there was never any stability, because all it stood upon was nothingness, the capital and nothingness of the Orient Soap. And this is what Rav Tzadik HaKohen tells us. Rav Tzadik HaKohen explains a famous Gemara with the Sabbath of Asuna. The Greek wise ones who, in their attempt to ridicule the Jewish people, come along and they ask various questions. And one of the questions that the Greek theologians or philosophers asked, one of the Tanayim was, Build for us a home in the middle of the sky. Show us how to live suspended in midair. And Kachava the Tana says a name, he says a shame, and he suspends himself in midair. And Rav Sada Kachoin Meleblin explains something very, very, very powerful and poignant in terms of what we're trying to describe right now, of what it means to live with that traumatic awareness that things could suddenly be otherwise, but no longer to look at it in the lens of pathology that things will be going from bad to worse, but rather looking at it from a positive expectancy and anticipation and a hope that take it mamish, that immediately, right now, earlier than now, quicker than now, things can be transformed by way of trauma from the bad to the overwhelmingly good to that unbearable light of that the redemption has arrived, that the redemption of this moment has arrived, that it's always been here. Rav Sadaq HaKoyen Milublin says as follows, that the job of a Yid is to live suspended in midair. To be a Jewish person, to be an Ashama Beguf, means to live with the awareness that the world lacks the stability most people walk around thinking it has that we live suspended in midair because we're not part of the ground and we're not part of Shemayim. We live suspended in between. And as much as we try and grain our footing, as much as we try and find security in this world, in the end of the day, the Jewish mind will never be able to get rid of that splinter, that kernel of Amuna, which says that everything could be otherwise in a minute. Everything can be otherwise in a split second. It wouldn't even take a single amount of time, a unit of time. It would be take a fumiyad mamish that to live suspended in the air is to live on unsubstantiality. It's to no longer need a ground to stand upon because the only ground is HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And if HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the only ground, then that which is expected and that which is unexpected, it makes absolutely no difference because HaKadosh Baruch Hu is running the world, was running the world, and will always be running the world. And that trauma that takes away the ground is no longer going to be something that destabilizes us, but it's going to be something that throws us into a profound and wondrous form of faith that says, I am profoundly unstable in my situatedness in this world. But what that provides for me is every opportunity to have more and more emuna, to dance in the air, to recognize that as a Jew in this world, I'm not meant to have my feet firmly planted in the ground. I'm meant to float. I'm meant to dream. I'm meant to live with the awareness that today things can be completely otherwise. What are they going to be like? I have no idea. But 
I'm waiting. We're all waiting for that anticipated yet unexpected guest who's going to come knocking on the door and dislodge us from our situatedness to dislodge us from our sense of being the balhabayas of Ani HaGever, and to help reveal to us in front of our eyes that we were never the balhabayas, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the balhabayas, that the infinite light that saturates all things and surrounds all things and fills all things and negates all things, that's the balhabayas. We're guests, we're chela kaloi kaimimau. We've never been the balhabayas. And when that now comes, when it comes and it dislodges us from our stability and it reminds us that Hever, you've never been stable, at that point, things are cracked open with light. It's a shvira, but it's a shvira that doesn't break things. It's something referred to as oyres de tohu bekelem de tikkun. It's the chaotic lights of trauma. It's the chaotic lights of not understanding. It's the chaotic lights and the overwhelming lights of realizing that we have no stability whatsoever. But it's not a breakdown. It's a breakthrough. It's an overwhelmingness and a chaotic energy that rests within the basic functional stability of day-to-day, moment-to-moment existence, where I walk around functioning yet with the overwhelming recognition that the order that I seem to have stabilized for myself or that the world seems to have stabilized for themselves is a lot less orderly than we tend to admit to ourselves. Rabbi Nachman in the 13th tale of the Sheva HaPatlarim of the Seven Beggars. So we know it's a tale of trauma. We spoke about this. It's a tale of trauma. The trauma takes place. The children are lost. And they learn to survive in the dark night of the forest. And in their impoverishment and in their post-traumatic experience, they're visited by the seven enigmatic beggars, these helpless creatures, these disjointed creatures, these paralyzed creatures, the one who can't see and the one who can't hear and the one who can't speak and the one who has a crooked neck and the one who has an extended back and the one who has no hands and the one who has no legs. And each of them come and they offer their promises and they offer their gifts and they offer their insight that helps the lost children make their way through that post-traumatic landscape, make their way through that post-facto shattering of our expectations until we come to live within the trauma, until we come to find the marriage and the simcha of the chasana where in the pit dug into the mud covered by dirt and branches. Because what we do through the story as the lost beggars, we make our way from the trauma that shatters to the trauma that builds. We come to accept the instability. We come to say, Hashem, you want me to get married in the mud? I'll get married in the mud. What difference does it make? I'm a rich person. I'm a melech, whether I have everything or whether I have nothing. That's the whole kunst, that's the whole secret of Rabbi Nachman's world and Rabbi Nachman's stories. It's malchus babli malucha, to be king without having anything to be king over. The recognition that as long as I am still alive, I am king. And all of the seven beggars seem to be making their return for the Sheva Brachos, offering their gifts, offering their secrets. The blind beggar says, ah, you thought I was blind. I'm not blind. I just see so far back that this world makes no blip on the radar of my eyes. And I give you the gift of vision. The deaf beggar says, you thought I was deaf? I'm not deaf. I just hear what's real. And I can't tolerate listening to the voices that emerge from deficiency and lack. And so I appear deaf. And I give you the blessing that you should live a good life like me. Third beggar comes along and says, ah, you think I couldn't speak? You think I was stuttering? It's not that I'm stuttering. It's just that my words are so potently love-filled. They're songs of cleaving to HaKadosh Baruch Hu that can make a person expire through their intense desire of nafshi that my soul will depart because I love you so. And I give you the blessing to praise HaKadosh Baruch Hu like me. 
The fourth beggar comes along and he says, you think I have a crooked neck? I don't have a crooked neck. I'm just learning to breathe properly. My breath is deeper than all the breath in the world. Next beggar comes and he says, you think I have a hunched back? I don't have a hunched back. I just know how to be empathic. I know how to carry the burden. I know how to help another yid. The handless beggar comes along and he says, you think I don't have hands? I have hands. I just have a koyach biyadayim that is so fast that I can pull back the arrows even after they've been shot. I can fix things even after they're broken because in truth, things are never fully broken. And as we're anticipating the legless beggar, he doesn't arrive. And within Chassidus Breslov, there's a knowledge that this legless beggar is the, is the arrival of Mashiach in each and every one of our own lives. The one who's going to teach us how to dance. David Malka Mashiach, King David who danced with absolute self-sacrifice. But what is it about dancing? It's learning how to dance without legs. It's learning how to be stable without having any stability. It's learning how to trust without having anything to trust in. It's learning to believe that things will get better and they're getting better and they're perpetually getting better over and over and over every second and that the big day awaits and that the moment of arrival of redemption, of that redemption of trauma that will take that unknowing and allow it to be the very site of faith. Tzadik that in the end of the day, all there is is the instability of faith. The world is nothing. HaKadosh Baruch is everything. And to live with that awareness means to destabilize ourselves for a moment. But to destabilize ourselves also means that we'll learn how to dance without legs, how we'll learn how to redeem the trauma. The trauma of redemption, that sudden breaking apart of the darkness to allow it to splinter with the infinite light, is at the very same moment the redemption of trauma, that redemption of that instability and that unknowingness that allows us to truly dance with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to live suspended in midair to live the secret of banalan besaba avir da'alma, to live like the tower that is suspended in the air, the migdal ha'parech ba'avir, the secret of yesoid, the secret of a foundation that stands upon absolutely nothing other than its own self, to come to believe that we need nothing other than the light of a Kaddish Baruch inside of us. And Be'ezra Sashem, when a person is able to contemplate these matters, not only will it bring the relief to the traumas of our experience and the traumas of everyday life, but it will help us continue cultivating a growth-oriented perspective of just because things have happened a certain way in the past doesn't mean that's how they're going to continue to happen. And just because I've fallen doesn't mean I can't get up. And just because I struggle doesn't mean I'll always struggle. But I am the one who can fix everything. And each and every Jew has to say to themselves that I am the one who's going to bring Mashiach, nobody else. Because in truth, we all have our personal redeemer to bring. Each and every one of us have to make sure, Rabbi Nachman says, that we don't stand in the way of the coming of our own personal redemption, of the arrival of our own personal Mashiach. And to open ourselves up, to open that door when the unexpected comes knocking, and to recognize that any point of not knowing is an opportunity to close my eyes, say, I don't know, I didn't know, I don't know, I will never know, and I'm here to welcome that which is coming. To end with a maisa, a beautiful maisa, when the Baal Shem Tov is looking for a son-in-law, so he sent his Talmidim out to look for a son-in-law, and Rav Tzvi, who was the son-in-law of the Baal Shem Tov apparently one of the Talmidim came and asked him what he was learning, and he said, I don't, I didn't know anything. I don't know anything. And I'm never going to know anything. 
And when they came back to the Baal Shem Tov HaKadosh and told them about this person who said, I didn't know anything, I don't know anything, and I will never know anything, the Baal Shem Tov said, this is a person I want as my son-in-law. And what it might mean for us is that when we allow ourselves to live with the awareness that we didn't know, we don't know, and we'll never know, that's what throws us into the secret of Amuna, which is the crown that we have to return back. It's the Eben Masu Abanim. And Be'ezra Sashem, we should be Zoycha not only to the trauma of redemption, but to the redemption of trauma as well. Be'ezra Sashem. This podcast is supported in part from a grant from the Hadar Institute. The music is by Zusha. The audio engineer is David Kwan. For more from the Shefa Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.